Hi, and welcome to the History Respawn podcast. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker. On today's episode, we are revisiting our 2021 History Game of the Year, Old World, from Mohawk Games. Set in classic antiquity, Old World is a historical 4X strategy game that places players in charge of an ancient dynasty as it attempts to overcome foreign competitors and internal family divisions to build an empire. For this episode, however, I'll be talking with the two leads of Mohawk Games, Layla and Soren Johnson. We'll be talking about the development of the game and how Old World makes use of history during the ancient era. Layla Johnson is Mohawk CEO and the creative director for Old World, while Soren Johnson is Mohawk's design director. Layla, Soren, welcome to History Respond. Hey, Bob. Thank you very much. Uh, by the way, we love your podcast. So thanks for having us. Yep, it's great to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, so first question, uh, you know, we are now several months past the official release of Old World, uh, and it has already picked up several awards, uh, including Best Strategy Game uh, from PC Gamer, uh, and I consider the equally coveted Best History Game uh, from History Respawn. And so I'm just wondering uh, from both of you, what do you make of the response to the game so far? Um, we, I mean, we were nominated to multiple other awards, and that was before before the the, the two uh, wins by PC Gamer, of course, History Respond, and we were humbled for being nominated. So you can, you know, and overjoyed. <laughs> so you can only imagine when we got the, you know, the strategy game of the year, and you know, of course, we're geeks uh, at heart, and. Uh, History Respond giving us that honor is only kind of validating that we super geek this. So I am <laughs> overjoyed for sure. And the team is happy because, you know, all the team is a big fan too. Soren, how do you feel? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been, I mean, I, I, I tend to focus on like, uh, you know, the pe- people who are playing the game and like kind of like the response within with that type of community, which is kind of some, sometimes kind of difficult to gauge. Um, and um, you know, like what I what I like seeing is generally generally speaking, when people come aboard in the community and they they mention you know a couple things about the game, they usually hear back from from other members that like yes, you know, uh, Mohawk, uh, you know, is very very responsive, and they you know they listen to what you say, and like you know we've done all these things you know directly based off of things that we said. So like the, you know the, the fan community really believes that like they're part of the process as well. It, it is nice when we hear from from people who care about history that understand who understand our limitations as well. Like we are not making uh, a simulation of history, but we're trying to mechanize history as much as we can. So uh, it is nice to hear from uh, other uh, people who are interested in history on how, like how well we've done and how much better we can do. Um, yeah, it's always it's always good to, to hear. I care a lot about the, about bringing history into the narrative, so for me, it's a special place. Good. Uh, well, that is a natural segue to my next question, and you know, I think Old World does a really good job of kind of presenting a vibrant and diverse version of the ancient world. And I'm wondering, you know, from your experience as developers, you know, was this interest in the ancient world always there? Did that kind of motivate? the setting for Old World or was the setting for Old World kind of decided on for gameplay reasons? I would start with both, but I'll let Soren lead with this one. Um, um, call. Yeah, I mean, it, it, 
it's a simple way to look at this is a lot of people when they talk about the Civ games, you know, they're like, oh, the great, the beginning of the game is great, and then I quit before I get to the end because you know I just get tired of it. And and beyond that, the uh, you know, it, it's always really tricky to introduce gameplay mechanics that are completely kind of new. Um, like often you know, things like air units and um, you know globalization and you know you know even things like pollution and stuff. You know, there's stuff that you, you know they they've tried to do a good job with with sort of mixed results, but to some level it's, it's the reason why a lot of this stuff doesn't necessarily work is because they're not really fully integrated into the game um, because they're kind of something that has to be grafted on to the end. So, you know, I felt like from a, a purely player centric point of view, you know, if you could focus on, you know, the early era uh, of, of history, you know, it would, it would, you know, it just lead to a better experience. So, you know, it wasn't, it was, it was making our jobs as a game developer easier to be able to focus on the ancient era. And then when we, um, we didn't start this way, but at, you know, at some point when we started deciding we also want to make the game about characters, then it just, you know, that we, we you didn't really have any choice. There's no real way to plausibly, you know, you know, uh, bulldoze your way through history when, you know, <laughs> people, should, you know, you should be going through generations with every turn, you know, so. Yeah, definitely the period. Um, Soren reminds me often that I start like getting excited about another period. I'm like, I'm just gonna write about the Ottomans and the Mamluks. And Soren reminds me that you know what? As long as something is flying in the sky gets introduced, we're doomed. <laughs> <laughs> and we have them fly birds. <laughs> we control the narrative. <laughs> well, I, you know, as a historian, I'm a modernist. I've got a PhD in modern European history. And so I do really appreciate games making the attempt uh, to depict modern history, post-industrial history. But at the same time, I, I think, you know, your perspective is right that, you know, the best part of a, a 4X game, a historical 4X game is usually the first couple of hours. Uh, and then, you know, once you get into the late game, you know, trying to strive for victory conditions, you're dealing with hundreds of units stretch all across the globe and it can be a real chore. And so I think that the setting for this game gameplay wise is really great. Uh, but then also in terms of history, I mean, I love the fact that this game, you know, it's got the, I would say the usual suspects of ancient history there. You know, you've got Rome, uh, you've got uh, Greece, you've got Egypt, uh, but then you've also got space here for Babylonia, uh, Assyria uh, in particular and Persia, which I think, you know, for most players, in North America, and certainly the students that I teach uh, in Texas, those types of civilizations, those groups of people are less often talked about, even in a, a Western Civ class where they're kind of shuttled uh, to one side, or maybe they're brought up in the textbook, but not actually in the class. So I love the space that this game and its setting gives to those uh, different groups. Yeah, um, it's uh, there. There. So, of course, you probably know that uh, we have to dig deeper um, to look for references. We have to talk. I, I don't know if you know this, but I am from the region. I'm from the Middle East. So I usually sometimes talk to historians from that region to dig into what is found, what is not talked about. And of course, it, it bothers me that there aren't a lot of attempts to uh, to bring that knowledge to the rest of the world. I have to say, though, in the last decade or so, there are way more attempts than if there has been for the last mm -hmm. century. So um, we had to dig uh, uh, deeper. And at some point, I had to also have a creative approach to how we're going to talk about the leaders and their lives. 
Uh, I don't know when this podcast is going to come out, but I'm currently digging into uh, yet another civilization. And there is not a lot known about the civilization. So I, have, I, I reached out to people from the region uh, successfully and um, talking with them as, you know, we're, we're doing this um, this uh, interview, uh, I was talking to them previously, and I'm going to continue talking to them afterwards, so I can create a narrative that they feel they're comfortable with that resembles their culture. Um, the conversation that happens around how to create a leader and a civilization are fascinating. Um, talking to a person who's relaying a story to me about the archaeology of a certain site, and he goes, uh, they didn't know what, what they just uncovered. And one of the people who was there, who's local, is like, oh, my gosh, this is a furnace. And they're like, oh, interesting. Why do you say that? It's like, we still have the same shape. We use it, you know, till today. So the importance of actually passing something by, by the locals just to kind of make sure that what you found could actually resonate with them a little bit more. So we're having these types of conversations that makes makes me... Um, I'm, I'm very careful about how I approach someone else's history. And as I am care, careful about how others approach my history. So mm -hmm. I think that's great. And, you know, I would see even in academic circles, it can be a struggle to get those kind of different perspectives, because, you know, just like with, uh, you know, people playing games, uh, academics do have their kind of key interest in Roman history uh, you know, Greek history, Egyptian history, and, you know, less so for those other fields. But I, I think you're right that things are changing. And it certainly helps to, you know, have access to scholars and scholarship from those areas, because they will have a natural interest in them and a perspective that's informed by experience, which I think is, is really useful. I mean, the same thing happens with, you know, uh, modern history, you know, where you've got people from those areas who focus on that history uh, and can provide extra insights. So, yeah, I'm really glad, really glad to hear that. That was part of the development process here. One thing is just a question. Often it's just a question of uh, perspectives because there's kind of like, especially in the West, like, for example, you, you know, whenever you're talking about the Greek or the Persian Wars, there's just kind of like this inherent bias where people kind of think of the Greeks as the home team, right? Yes. Even yeah. though there's no reason why we should we should associate ourselves with one as opposed to the other. And um, I'd say we kind of like took action on that with the, the, the only campaign that we've included so far uh, in the game, which is, you know, basically the rise of Carthage, right? Mm -hmm. So we tell the story of the Punic Wars, but not from the perspective of the Romans. We tell it from the perspective of the Carthaginians. Um, and we had to dig into some, you know, history that we weren't familiar with at all because we didn't know much about really Carthage before then. And a lot of places we, you know, frankly, we had to kind of fill in the gaps because there isn't as, as good of a historical record there, but we felt like it was worthwhile to do that. Yeah. And then the arguments we had around Carthage till the last minute, till we shipped Old World, the conversation was, is it Carthage or Phoenicia? Because I come from <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, of course. I'm deceiving Phoenicia mm -hmm. by not representing. And Soren and I just kind of like go back and look at it. Well, at least I do. I keep saying Soren and we failed Phoenicia. I feel like I'm a <laughs> We're not doing this. Um, but we wanted to kind of, again, when, when we are trying to make a, a, a representation, we wanted to go somewhere towards North Africa a little bit more mm -hmm. um, and spread the focus that way. And Carthage hit those boxes for us as well, you know, because it was that civilization that represents a civilization that was kind of not stopped, maybe interrupted so another civilization can come out of it. Um, so we reconciled that part. Mm -hmm. So now we're with. Yeah, I think that's great. And, you know, to have that diversity is so great. And I think it's also 
um, you know, more historically authentic in the sense that, you know, these ancient civilizations were all borrowing and stealing from each other all the time. And so, you know, it's typically in the case with history textbooks, even to this day, where you've got, you know, kind of your box for Rome, your box for Greece, and they have influence with one another, but, you know, you don't take into account the Phoenicians or you take into account um, the Assyrians and their importance. And so I think, you know, a lot of work by historians now is to kind of show the blending uh, of those civilizations uh, and to kind of get over this traditional um, east-west divide that exists even in historiography, even amongst really, really smart people. They still kind of have this nationalized perspective on the past. And um, yeah, so that's that's really exciting. I'm glad to hear that. And, you know, I think too, just as an aside, I think it's also more interesting in terms of gameplay. You know, it's like we have so many games about Rome. We have so many games that are kind of related to ancient Greece. It's great to have as a player kind of different um, different groups to play with. Um, I just think that's more interesting, um, you know, as a player, not just as a historian. Um, okay, well, uh, next question is related to uh, the game's use of events and ambitions. And so, you know, during the course of this game, uh, you are presented with a set of uh, events. Uh, ambitions are kind of like quests uh, that the player has to go on in order to gain bonuses as they play in order to achieve a victory condition. And a lot of these events and ambitions seem to have kind of uh, a historical perspective uh, tailored into them. And so I'm wondering, you know, to what extent did you rely on historical research when you were putting together uh, these events and ambitions? When we read history, our understanding of victory sometimes, uh, you know, can align in a sense of conquest. Oh, they mm. conquered a lot. But victory, uh, we approached it also from what other types of victories can we think of and how we can turn them into play. Uh, the key word for us was mechanizing history. And then, of course, we have Thorin who can, you know, um, turn, um, you know, those, those uh, achievements. The sense of achieving something and winning is inherently married to, to playing a game. Just the question is, how do we... Um, how do we turn it into something that's satisfying? And this is where the genius of Soren happens. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys noticed, but in the, the events that pop up, a lot of them have this little globe in the upper corner, um, which will take you actually to the Wikipedia page of, you know, the various backgrounds of some events. And, and oftentimes it's a little, you know, you can tell we're taking liberties with it, but we're showing where our influences come from, where the sources come from. Um, and... You know, I, I, it's, you know, we're sort of doing it stochastically, right? Like we're not, we're not trying to tell a single story, you know, outside of like the campaign. What we're doing is we're really just, you know, listening to podcasts, going through books, like, you know, you know, we're just trolling through Wikipedia. Like, you know, I often think of like history like a fractal. You can kind of keep drilling well, down. The reason for us using Wikipedia is we go through other references, but Wikipedia is accessible by everyone. Mm -hmm. So that globe will take you to a Wikipedia page um, because, you know, people people have access to it. Right. And uh, but yeah, basically that, you know, like there's there's all sorts of, you know, little interesting stories here and there that aren't necessarily part of this overall narrative but are these interesting things and and the idea is if we just assemble enough of them in the in the well, you know the event deck you know it'll create this kind of unique dynamic experience that still feels you know informed by the period 
Yeah, right. great. I, I was not aware of the links to Wikipedia uh, within the game. So I'm now I'm eager to go back and start clicking on those. Um, and, you know, speaking as a scholar, you know, I know most of my fellow academics kind of poo-poo um, Wikipedia, but it's just kind of a, um, it's something you have to have to use, I think, because of its accessibility. Uh, you know, it's, a, I think it's a, it's an okay starting point. You know, and I think what's great about Wikipedia too is that so many of the people who put time into it are earnestly interested in you know historical accuracy, historical truth, and they, uh, you know, the footnotes there will point you to really good sources uh, that are sometimes free online. So, uh, yeah, so I think that's that's totally valid, especially if you are you know approaching it from the perspective of uh, you know of a, a rather smaller game that doesn't have the resources to maybe necessarily put together an encyclopedia like the Civlopedia or something like that, which I think has had the luxury of being built up over many decades <laughs> at this point. Uh, it's, it's very hard to um, create a reference for every story we tell, especially that, for example, right now I'm reading about Salahuddin mm -hmm. and yeah. I'm reading a, a, a book that's in three volumes and I got the book. It's written by a Saudi Sheikh. Um, his name is Salabi. It is published in Beirut, Lebanon, and the book is shipped to the United States for me. I went to Dice last week and I lost the book and I had to go back and think, oh my gosh, I have so many references and notes. And I, I, I was collapsing internally because all my thoughts, I write on the book. Like I actually just have post-its too with, you know, all sorts of things and arrows. And I'm the only one who can, can decipher what's really going on there. And it's just because I, I start building my narrative and character design inside of those stories. Mm -hmm. um, and when you do something like this, it's way more precious than your credit card because you can't replace it. Long story short, I was able to, to get the book back. Okay. So kind of cool. But uh, the thing is, when I wanted to reorder it, looking at my, my books now for the next projects working on, I had to look where the heck did I get this book from? And I realized, oh, wow, like the route to get that book was was big. It's a collaboration between different references put together in the Arab world by this Saudi man, uh, you know, published in a in a in Dar and Nasher and publishing house in Beirut. And then they send it to me and I have to pay a huge amount for the book to reach me. So it's like, when will I get this book if I were to replace it was very agonizing. Mm -hmm. I cannot put a link to that in the event system. Like, <laughs> how do you see that? Right? We don't have the, the money, as we said, to create a civilpedia. Yeah, yeah. Well, I still think what you have there already is, is great. Um, so uh, my next question is related to uh, gameplay. Uh, it's related to Old World's uh, order system, which... You know, I really love, as a longtime player of Civilization, the kind of ability of the order system to turn, uh, you know, usual choices for the player uh, into finite resources that you really have to think really carefully about uh, for each term. So I'm just wondering, how did the order system come about uh, through Old World's development? Sure, it was probably the first idea that you know really it was actually really the reason to make the game was that i felt that you know if you took a civ style game and you just you know stuck an order system on top of it it could really really you know revolutionize how it felt to play the game um and um honestly the inspirations were actually uh facebook games 
from way back when because no kidding you know, <laughs> yeah, a lot of those games their business model was around the idea of you'd have power or energy or something that would accumulate over time so kind of the and, zynga zynga games right yeah, exactly. yeah so you log on you're like oh i've got 12 actions and you did your actions and then you run out and you're like well I'll come back in four hours or pay us you know five bucks or whatever and you know i wasn't particularly interested in that but you know i was just kind of like well the, the whole idea of you know, you have a limited number of actions and you have freedom to just, you know, use them however you want to, which also a lot of board games have played with as well, but not as much video games, um, you know, I thought could be could be interesting. So initially it was just like, well, let's just kind of see what happens, right? Like why why have we always assumed that, you know, every unit should move once per turn and that's the way the game should work, right? Um, because frankly, that leads to a lot of problems once you have like 100 units and you're moving units around just because you basically have to or, you know, you're... There's no reason not to, which means that if you're trying to play the game, you're going to use it, take advantage of the tools you have, right? Um, and yeah, it just immediately, you know, it just immediately worked really well. It took it took a while to get the details right, but just the sense that you know you actually have to make these these choices about what you want to do, and you have some freedom, and you're making real decisions. You know, you're spending orders on your military means you're not spending them on your workers, and vice versa. And so you know, it's just one of those things that that worked. So I'm you know kind of uh, Curious to see if it's going to become, you know, more common in like kind of the forex, the forex genre. Yeah, I really hope it does. Um, you know, I think uh, in a previous episode, of History Respawn on the show uh, related to uh, Old World, I'd compared it to, you know, the order system, comparing it to like trying to to spread a really small piece of butter over a big piece of toast, and you know, it's like you got to pick and choose which parts of the toast you want to butter. And then the other parts are just not going to get any attention and it's going to go really bad probably. Um, and I think like, you know, you're thinking about it in terms of Civ games. Uh, you know, if you think of Civ as like, you know, Sid Meier said uh, a series of uh, interesting choices. It just kind of the order system like adds more choices, right? It, it kind of does the strategic level, like you said, and then, but then the kind of like each turn is kind of turned into small choices that you have to make in it it really ratchets up the pressure on the player. I feel very stressed uh, just about every turn. Um, I, I, yeah. So I hope other, other developers uh, kind of pick up on this idea. Um, I think it's really the great. Thing about building, a building into strategy is that you want the player to make the decisions, mm -hmm. right? You want them to make them strategically as strategically as they can. You have to give them that freedom. And then that's the whole point is to have fun building your strategy. And then you give them this infinite amount of things that they have to control that they can't really control. And this is where I struggled as well when I played Civilization. I think, you, you know, Soren could hear me like going, oh my gosh. And I had to put like uh, the units on auto because yeah. I am, I no longer want to make these decisions. It's a lot of small decisions that I do not want to just keep saying, nope, not this time, nope, not this time. I don't want to move you. I don't want to move you. Please just don't come onto my screen anymore. This is no longer playing. This is just micromanaging. Mm -hmm. There's no fun in that, just mm -hmm. kind of like having to go over each and every unit and pass. So just to pass, um, it removes the strategy and the fun out of, you know, the hand of the player. So mm -hmm. we wanted to give the player that control back. Yeah, yeah the big big risk for us is that um, going down the orders route meant that automation was not really going to be a thing, which, you know, probably it shouldn't be a thing to begin with, right? Like if you're playing a game and you're, you know, a big part of the game is like, well, I'm just going to let the computer make these yeah. decisions for me, probably something's gone wrong. But at this point, you know, you've got 
you know, millions of people who are used to it working that way in civilization. So still people come to old world and they kind of, they want, they want some automation just because they're so trained to it. But, you know, once people get used to the game, you know, they, you know, they're like, okay, I actually see there's the whole point is there's interesting decisions to make every turn. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there, I don't think that this game has the same kind of, uh, unit glut that you get you know it's say late game sieve like layla was mentioning i mean that can be one of the most difficult parts of getting to the end of a civilization game is you know the last three or four hours where you've got hundreds of units and you've got all these um, settlers or workers that have the potential right they have the potential just keep building roads or keep building improvements and so it's like well you should use that you know if you can uh, but then also, like you said, it's just kind of like, uh, it's just so many, it's minor and not very thrilling decisions. Whereas I think the order system gets to that. It kind of makes the decisions like the previously banal and mundane decisions that you make about movement and improvements. It gives a lot of tension to those. So yeah, I just, it's, it's hard for me, I think, to imagine going back to a Civ game now with this system in the back of my mind. Um, it's also difficult for me to go back to a Civ game without uh, Old World's undo button as well, <laughs> which is a really fantastic improvement. I love that too. I love the undo button. Yeah, yeah. People have really fall in love with that. So that's we're definitely raising the stakes for games that don't have undo. I, every game I play now, even some that are, are in real time, which makes no sense. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I want to undo the thing I just did. You know, mm -hmm. it just it's stuck in your brain. I am trying to get the people behind Polytopia to hear me on the on the twitter world please put an undo button <laughs> this is a game i play when i'm when i'm waiting for a doctor's appointment or at the airport or something i'm just like please i need an undo button it's on my phone like i can make mistakes just because i have a finger please put an undo button yeah yeah um so with relation to other historical 4x games uh this past year was a really big year uh, for that genre, we had uh, your game released, Old World release, uh, release of uh, Humankind by Amplitude, um, you know, new developments with expansions for Civilization VI, uh, and then, of course, the 30th anniversary of the release of uh, Civilization One. So I want to ask you to comment on those other games, uh, competitor games, but I am curious, you know, why do you all think this genre, this 4X genre, historical 4X genre is so compelling for players? Why do you think that there's space uh, for this many games? And why do you think this is a genre that's kind of endured uh, for so long? Um, well, I mean, the, the fantasy of the Civilization 4X is really kind of unmatched, right? And, uh, you know, I'd even say, like, old world can't even, can't quite match that, right? Like, you know, the idea of, like, oh, you're going to replay all of human history, right? Like, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, it's a very compelling idea. Um, it comes with, it brings a lot of, I mean, uh, <laughs> with, with that, that much promise, it comes with a lot of problems, right? So, like, it makes the game design a lot more challenging. Um but yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, it's funny because you, you say like, why has it, why has it led to so much, but it's odd to me because actually I, I feel like there, it's a, still actually an unexplored space. Um, if you actually, you know, stacked up all of the four X's based off of whether they're historical or they're fantasy or they're sci-fi, 
the fantasy and sci-fi is what ones would dwarf the historical ones. Like there really are very, very few. I mean, you'd have to maybe be like, well, maybe, maybe we'll include the total war games or the paradox games or like, well, okay. They're sort of like that, but like in, in terms of a traditional four X, like they're really, they're really not. And like, you know, really until this last couple of years, it's basically just been Civ, right? Um, it's a bit like the Sims, I think. It's just like one of these one of these franchises that has just dominated its space so much that it's it's sort of prevented people have been afraid to compete, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been interesting to see humankind because that's like the first game I can remember, at least going back to Call the Power, which is really going back a ways, that really is just taking Civ Civ head on. Um which you know, you know, was definitely something we we didn't want to do. But I think we show that there's there's a ton of space just making historical forexes. Period. In you know, kind of any any period of time or 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 whatever. So. And at the beginning of almost everything, things are much much easier. Like, how easy was it for the first creators of something entertaining, like a video game? You could just do anything as long as you're clicking buttons and you're introducing people. It's fine. It's harder for people when they start innovating um, or improving on something. I think where we are at with old world is great timing to create something because there isn't much of it. It'll be wonderful to see how other people are going to do it better in mm-hmm. the future. It's just really, we're still at the beginning. There's so much we can do because there isn't a lot done in the genre. So I personally cannot wait because you know we, we now have Old World. I don't know when we're going to come back and create a historical 4X or if it's going to happen ever again. Uh, we have this game for now and we're going to work on you know other things coming out of Old World. But we would love to see on our lifetime how other designers, how other studios are going to tackle the genre in an innovative, creative, and better way. Well, hopefully they all include the undo button and the order system. I think that would be my, <laughs> my big recommendation. Um, Does humankind have an undo button? I don't think so. I I have to admit, and this is my opinion, this doesn't have anything to do with y'all. I, I have a hard time getting into humankind. Um, I think that the systems that they have there are so foreign to me in terms of, um, you know, kind of what I expect from a historical 4X that it's difficult for me to overcome it. And so I say I've put like maybe 15, 20 hours into it, whereas with old worlds, you know, it's 30, 40 hours. Um but that's just my opinion. Um, I, I don't want to cast too many aspersions. I, I appreciate any game uh, that is attempting uh, to complicate the historical 4X uh, genre. You know, I think Soren's right. You know, it, it is a long-lasting genre, but it's also one that hasn't had that much uh, non-Sid Meier innovations uh, attached to it. Uh, and, you know, I know many other people work with Sid on those games. Um, but just kind of the umbrella of civilization is so strong. I, you know, when I talk to historians about it, uh, you know, many of them have played Civ and, you know, I have to explain the popularity of it. It's kind of like, uh, the gaming version of Coca-Cola, you know, it's just kind of like everywhere it's ubiquitous. And when you're talking about historical games in particular, it's, it's one of these big tent poles, but it doesn't have nearly as much variation as say, you know, third person, uh, action games or RPG, historical RPG games, or, uh, even, you know, kind of lower level, um, tactical strategy games. So, um, yeah, it's really exciting. Uh, you know, it only took 30 years to get to this, uh, number of, uh, competitors, but finally, you know, humanity's done it. <laughs> um, okay. Well, uh, 
that does it for my, you know, kind of base level questions. Um, but I did, I was curious, I, you know, I know that y'all are uh, preparing to launch this game on Steam, uh, which I think is really exciting um, because I hopefully more people will play it, uh, come into contact with it. Uh, but it also makes me wonder, are there any plans um, so far for uh, DLC or uh, maybe added scenarios or added civilizations for Old World? Yes. <laughs> no, just okay, I'm thank you. <laughs> no, yes, definitely yes. Um, again, we are very close to our communities, to people who talk to us, and we see that there is, um, if I may use the word thirst for more, and that only kind of make make that makes us want to produce more. So yes, there are more DLCs. We are thinking of other civilizations. Um, the question is, you know, when are we going to be able to launch them? How long will it take us to create them? Uh, and of course, um, who are the best people to work on them? Uh, we are trying as much as we can to work with people who authentically grew around certain cultures uh, to represent or create these types of scenarios. So uh, that makes it a little bit or a lot more harder for us to create, trying to find these resources, also making sure that they understand how we make games strategically. They also have to be good at writing and thinking narratively. They have to be an, uh, a designer, a writer, a bit of a programmer that we can, we can help them and have grown in that culture and they like history and they can understand the world of strategies and possibility. However, we have found a few, so we're kind of, happy to to announce almost nothing we have found some people who can help us create more content um, that is authentic good well that's encouraging that's what i wanted to hear so yeah i'm happy with that answer all right um okay oh go ahead we are working on two projects that i cannot wait to talk about and one of them is in a uncharted territory a territory also that hasn't been touched much so uh in the world of video games and I cannot wait to share it with the world. Like I am, I, I constantly am digging into that research and trying to repress my, my need to go work on that game because I'm focusing still on old world, which is really hard. But I go to sleep at night feeling super excited to like add these things tomorrow to my notebook. And of course not losing any notebooks, uh, uh, you know, anywhere uh, from here on, I'm just gonna glue my books to my, to my hand or something like that. <laughs> So you're not, you're not a fan of a, a Kindle or an e-reader or something like that? That's not... I don't think they are available on Kindle. Yeah. Um, this is why I was saying that the, the opposite of accessibility is what I'm going through right now. Mm -hmm. If you are going to touch something, a part of the world or history that hasn't been dug up, you're going to have my problem. And my problem is um, I have to find the books in their original language uh, and read them and uh, try to create a narrative from them. But to find them to start with means that there are, there's just a small place that creates them. And if I lose them, I have to wait three more months to get them back and very expensive. So it's uh, it's not a huge problem, but it is a problem. Yeah. Like well, I appreciate the effort. I'm sure my listeners appreciate the effort as well. Yeah. That's great to hear. All right, well, Leila Soren, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you oh, so much. Thanks a lot. And thank you for the beautiful award. We care a lot and we appreciate 
recognition and validation from people who love history as much as we do. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, I would love to get to the point where History Respawn can afford an actual physical award um, or maybe even just like a big check that with no monetary value. I've always wanted to give somebody a big check. I haven't yet done that. So that's a life goal. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, thank you so much and uh, good work with everything you're doing. And we look forward to seeing what happens next with Old World. Thank you. you. All right, listener, thank you for joining us. Uh, If you are interested in History Respawn and checking out our archives, please visit historyrespawn.com. And if you really enjoy our work, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash historyrespawn. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.